following teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. He is risen. It is good to be together with you this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a gentleman by the name of Clarence W. Hall has been credited with saying this. He says, if Easter says anything to us today, it says this. You can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. You can nail it to a cross, wrap it in winding sheets, and shut it up in a tomb, but it will rise. And it is this truth that brings us together this morning to celebrate our resurrected Lord. And this truth, brothers and sisters, is so significant, so glorious that the entirety of Christianity really stands or falls upon it. If Jesus claimed that he was going to do this and he does it, then you and I need to follow this Jesus. And he made it very clear that he came to die. He came to offer his life up. This wasn't something that was shrouded in mystery. This is something that he clearly spoke to Everybody that he came in contact with. In fact, in Matthew twelve forty, we hear Jesus speak these words to some scribes and Pharisees. He says this, he says, For just as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Matthew seventeen, twenty two through twenty three, we hear Jesus speak these words to his disciples. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And again, in Matthew twenty eighteen through 19, we hear Jesus speak these words to his disciples as they set off for Jerusalem in the Passover celebration. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge, and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. Again, to put it as simply as possible, Jesus came to die. There was no secret about this. This was not some unknown event that nobody foresaw. This isn't something that caught Jesus himself off guard. Jesus knew it was going to happen, and he told his disciples it was going to happen. He even told the people that wanted to kill him, that it was going to happen. And because it did happen, just like Jesus said that it would, we can trust in the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody, nobody comes to the Father except through him. But that doesn't sit well with people who love their sin more than they love Jesus. That doesn't sit well with people that want to do their own thing. And so many attempts have been made to discredit the resurrection, to kind of explain it away, to excuse it in some way. And really, over the millennia, there have been some pretty, in my opinion, crazy thoughts as to you know, what really happened. Why was the tomb empty? What really took place? Well, I thought it might be interesting this morning just to touch on a few of the theories that have kind of spread over the millennia as to why the tomb 
was empty and what really kind of happened there. And I'll let you decide their validity, but just kind of listen to what the world has come up with as an explanation for the empty tomb. Rather than believing that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, this is kind of their, their way of thinking through it. Here's one theory was the, the swoon theory. The swoon theory. And this view holds that Christ never actually really died on the cross, but really only swooned. And to swoon means to faint or to pass out, to become unconscious. So according to this theory, when Jesus was placed in the tomb, he was still alive. And after several hours, he was revived by the cool air of the tomb. He then arose and then he departed. Now, this theory is ridiculous at best. I mean, when we reflect back, I mean, just stop and think about all that Jesus went through. I mean, think about the scourging, the whipping, the beating. Think about being nailed upon a cross. Think about having a spear thrust into his side. And, and these people want us to believe that really he just kind of passed out from all of that. And then the cool air from this tomb somehow revived him. And after all that he went through, he was able to rise up from that and roll away the stone and appear within a couple days to a number of different people in good spirits and like nothing really had had happened. That is one such theory. Again, I'll let you decide the validity of these. Here's another theory that has come up over the, the millennia, the hallucination theory. And this view states that all of Christ's post-resurrection appearances were really only supposed appearances. What really happened was this. People had hallucinations. And when we look at all the different times, places, and people that Christ appeared before this theory, uh, is also ridiculous. And 1 Corinthians 15.6 tells us just one of Christ's appearances. It says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. I mean, imagine this. Over 500 different people testifying about Christ's resurrection. I mean, usually if you can get three to four people, any lawyer would say, you know what, you've got a pretty good case. If you've got three or four people that can kind of come up with the same story and, and say the same things, and, and they would say you've got a good chance of winning that case, try having 500 And now, according to this theory, you're going to try to discount these witnesses by saying that their seeing Jesus was nothing more than a hallucination. I mean, never mind that the stories all matched, that they all had the same details and descriptions of of Christ's appearance. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, basically says, he says, look, if you have any questions regarding Jesus's resurrection, regarding the accuracy of Christ's resurrection, just just go and talk with the people. Just go and talk with the ones who saw him. And most of them are still living. Go and talk to these people and they'll tell you what was going on. I mean, a 500 plus person hallucination is just another creative way in which people, according to Romans 118, suppress the truth. They don't want the truth. And so they come up with a 500 plus person hallucination. Well, here's another theory, the wrong tomb theory. Now, in this theory, the empty tomb is explained by the fact that the women who went to Jesus' tomb went to the wrong one. I mean, he was actually buried in another tomb. And since all of the tombs, you know, back then they looked very similar. So, you know, it was very easy to uh, mix them up. And they just simply made a mistake. 
Well, this theory is so ridiculous, I, I almost hesitate to waste any time on discussing it. But, I mean, really, if they'd had gone to the wrong tomb, couldn't Joseph of Arimathea just simply said, hey, guys, you know what? You, you went to the wrong tomb. Here, here, here it is right here. You, you guys just missed it. But he didn't do that. And after all of this time, nobody was able to go to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and show that these people went to the wrong tomb to clear everything up. They had indeed gone to the right tomb, and it was empty. But this is another effort that people make to suppress the truth. Theory, another theory is this, the theory of uh, the theft, the theft theory. Now, in this view, it's understood that the disciples came during the night and stole the body from the tomb. And this theory probably has the greatest following, but under closer examination, I think we can too see that this is just as ridiculous as the others. Open up your Bibles with me, if you would, to Matthew 27. And in Matthew 27, verses 62 through 66, we're going to see... The word of God has to say here. So in Matthew 27, 62 through 66, it says this. It says, now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now, in this text, we see that the graveside was secured by the Roman guard. Now, if we remember back to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had all of his disciples there with him, and he was arrested and then in Matthew twenty six fifty six, he tells us that all of the disciples left him and fled. Now, in that group of disciples, even Peter, the bravest, the most outspoken of the disciples, turned and denied Christ. In fact, we're told that he denied Christ three times. And this wasn't even in the garden where people had some weapons and things. This was standing before some... Uh, some servant girls, and some people without weapons. So to think that all of a sudden this timid, this dispersed, frightened group of disciples would gather the courage to go up against some Roman soldiers who were fully armed, who were given all of the authority to secure the gravesite, seems a little far-fetched. And if you stop and think about it, these disciples weren't capable of pulling off a theft, like, a theft like this. Matthew 28, 11 through 15 tells us of the conspiracy that was really drawn up by the chief priests. They instructed the soldiers to say that they were asleep when Jesus' disciples came and stole the body. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. They're asleep. How do they know who stole Jesus' body? How do they know it was the disciples that did that? If they are supposedly asleep. I mean, when we look at these theories and we look at these things, we see that they are all full of holes and they really don't add up and they really don't make any kind of logical sense. The truth of the matter is that no theory can explain the empty tomb. 
And unless you can explain away the empty tomb, you cannot explain away the resurrection. And if you cannot explain away the resurrection, then you cannot reject the claims and the teachings of Jesus. See, the Apostle Paul understood the implications of the resurrection, and that is why he wrote these words that are found in 1 Corinthians 15.27. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning. So go ahead and flip on over to 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17. This is what the Word of God says. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Now, as we can see from verse 12 in our text, there were some people within the Corinthian church that did not believe in the resurrection. To them, it was absolutely absurd that someone could die and that their body could be physically resurrected from the dead. But the Apostle Paul, really in no uncertain terms, makes it perfectly clear that this is indeed what happened with Christ. Even Thomas, one of Jesus' own disciples, refused to believe that Jesus had been resurrected and said he wouldn't believe unless he could see the imprint of the nails in his hands or touch the place where the spear had pierced his side. Well, shortly after he makes that claim, Christ appears to him in John 20, 27. This encounter is recorded and it goes like this. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, reach here with your finger. And see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And how does Thomas reply? Well, Thomas replies and he says, my Lord and my God. See, Thomas saw Christ's resurrected body. He touched Christ's nail pierced hands. He placed his hand into Christ's side, which had been pierced only a few days before by the Roman soldier. For Thomas, there was no longer any doubt as to whether Christ's body had been resurrected or not. He knew. He had seen it. He had touched it. And he is an eyewitness to this day, and there are many others like it, so that you and I can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I've stated over and over again, the resurrection of Christ is critical to the Christian faith. And as we look at the, the text in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17, we see that it is critical for three basic reasons. And the first reason that the resurrection is so important is that without it, Christ is still dead. Without it, Christ is still dead. Look at what verse 13 says. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And, and, you know, this is a critical point within Christianity. I mean, if Christ isn't raised, then he's dead. And if he's dead, then what use do you and I have in following him? 
What point is there in following a dead man? I mean, where is a dead man going to lead you? Stop and think about that. I mean, this and again, this whole debate about Jesus could have been ended. Right. I mean, if if he really wasn't resurrected, if he really was still in the grave. then this whole thing could have been cleared up simply by producing the body. I mean, the Jewish leaders could have been settled, could have just settled everything back then and put an end to this whole Jesus thing back then if they could have shown the body. All they had to do was show everyone that they were following a dead man. Hey, this Jesus Christ, your your leader, here he is. Look at him. He's dead. Go follow him. That's that's all they had to do. And brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, why didn't they do that? Why didn't they do that? If the body was still in the tomb, then why didn't they show it to everyone and put an end to Christianity once and for all? You see, the resurrection is so critical because without it, even Christ would not have been raised. And even Christ would be dead. And if that's true, then you and I would be following a dead man. Now, the second reason that the resurrection is so important is that without it, the teachings of this book right here would be proven to be wrong. They would be false. Look at verses 14 and 16, 14 through 16. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Brothers and sisters, if the resurrection is not true then the teachings of Paul and the other disciples are not true. Their words are nothing more than a bunch of hot air, void of any power, void of any authority, if the resurrection is not true. Time and time again, we're told throughout the pages of this book right here about the resurrection of Christ. And if the resurrection isn't true, then you would have to remove all of the various books that make reference to it. You would have to remove all four of the gospel accounts. The book of Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, 2 Timothy, Hebrews, 1 Peter, and the book of Revelation. All of these talk about the resurrection of Christ. All of them testify of the power of God. All of them offer us great hope to those who put their faith in the risen Savior, the resurrected Lord. This book that we call the Bible is grounded in the resurrection. And if you take that away, you take away the authority of this book as well. The resurrection is critical to the Christian faith. It's critical to everything that we hold near and dear. 
The third and final reason that the resurrection is so important is that without it, you and I would still be lost in our sins. Let's look at what verse 17 has to say. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Without the resurrection, the Christian faith is worthless. Paul tells us that if the resurrection is not true, then Christians are the people that are to be, of all people, the most pitied people. I mean, if you take away the resurrection, you take away the very heart and soul of the Christian faith. The resurrection is central to this faith. A dead Christ is a powerless Christ. And thus, his followers are powerless. But, oh, brothers and sisters, a resurrected Christ, that's a whole other story. Right? A resurrected Christ is a, is a God that is full of power. Is a God who is able to bring sinful man back into a right relationship with a holy and perfect God. A risen Christ is able to remove the sins that separate you from your heavenly Father. A risen Christ is able to justify you in the sight of your gracious God. Stop and think about that. Because again, according to our text, if Christ has not been raised, your faithless, worthless, you are still in your sin. Praise God that the tomb was empty. Praise God that he has been that Jesus Christ has been resurrected. Praise God that through this, you and I now have the power through God's Holy Spirit to walk in a newness of life. That we don't have to be the same people that we once were. That God has called us out from the darkness and into the kingdom of light. And we now have this hope to live in this new life because of the resurrection. Praise God for that, brothers and sisters. The resurrection is critical to the Christian faith. It's the very lifeblood of the faith. So this Easter, it would be my hope that God would help us to remember the importance of the empty tomb. It would be my prayer that He would help us to discard all of the false theories that stir within us any kind of, of doubt or to question the validity of this resurrected Christ. May He help us to block out all of the distractions that would want us to place our focus on something other than the resurrection of Christ. And there are plenty that are before us. If you're a Christian, the significance of the resurrection is immeasurable. If you're not a Christian, the empty tomb is the one thing you've got to answer. Think about it. And Christianity hangs on the resurrection. We take that away. And according to Paul, we are the most to be pitied. You take away the resurrection, Christianity is just another false religion. But with it, but with it, Christianity contains all of the power to cleanse you from your sin and to restore you into a right relationship with the one who simply spoke this world into existence. And that brothers and sisters, is why we gather together every Sunday to celebrate. But this is a special Sunday 
where we get together and we celebrate our risen Lord. A Lord that the grave could not contain, that gives us so much hope and allows us to have the sureness of the fact that just as He was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. Not on our own power, but by the power that was able to pull Jesus out from the grave. Where right now He is ascended into heaven and He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And He promised someday that He will come back. And I hope each and every one of us are ready for that. Let's close in a word of prayer and then I think we've got another song to sing. But let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You are a great God and we are so thankful as we stop and we consider the empty grave. What an amazing truth. And we are so thankful that because the grave is empty, because Jesus has been resurrected, we have the same hope of being resurrected ourselves because you are a God who is faithful. You are a God who is true to your word. So, Lord, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters this morning that you will just give us great hope this morning as we gather together and and as we celebrate our risen Lord. I pray that we would just praise you and give you thanks for all that you've done to make a way for sinners like us to be made right with a God like you. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody out there this morning that does not know you, that you will cause them to think deeply about the empty tomb, that you will cause them to think long and hard about Jesus and who they are trusting in or what they are trusting in. Lord, may you help us all to see that you are a God that is worthy of our worship and our praise. And I, and I pray that as we gather this morning, you will be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. And we thank you for this time where we could gather together early and just get a jump on all of the celebration and all of the excitement that is still before us, Lord. Help us to just give you the praise and honor that is rightfully yours. We thank you and praise you, and we do all of this in Christ's precious name. Amen.